Welcome to the Sexy Biz Babe podcast. I'm your host, Tia Lin, a business empowerment coach and motivational speaker. This show is for the high achieving woman who wants it all. Each week, I walk you through how to own your power, generate consistent leads, attract clients, and close sales with ease and confidence. It's time to make money doing what you love. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to today's podcast. We have a special guest on today, Cole Witty, and we're going to be talking about psychedelics. Ooh, yeah. So I'm really <laughs> excited to dive in, especially after my Tulum trip, trip I've been talking about. So go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Sure. I mean, there's a lot to tell and we'd have to break it all down maybe by year to fully get it all in. But if I was going to say, who am I today or who do I orient myself to be today? Uh, my name is Cole Witty, married to the incredible, stupendous, magical Ta Witty. Uh, and our work has been primarily in psychedelics uh, through therapeutics, uh, through a th- we're through a therapeutic lens, and then also guiding trips to Peru to work with some of the tribes and lineages that we've studied and learned from. And our current mission is really to connect ancient wisdom with this Western mindset. And so it's not about bringing old tradition back. It's about integrating and honoring the traditions that have been as this world evolves, Uh, because tradition is powerful, but tradition can also be a prison. And so it's to be able to acknowledge and respect and honor the lineages that these beautiful practices come from, um, while building not only financial uh, stability, but also, as they say, the, a rising tide lifts all boats. So how do we bring accessibility, consciousness, awareness, safety, and accessibility to all? Oh, I love that. So how did you get into this? Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's something you ever get into versus something you get guided to, and then that kind of expands into your life. So for me personally, we'd have to back up, and I can do this in two minutes, maybe. Um, if I back up to 17, uh, I was an at-risk youth. I went to three different high schools. I dropped out of high school. I um, didn't finish high school. I went back and got a GED later and ended up overdosing into a coma at 17. I was already out living on my own, uh, working a job and all sorts of other you know, survival skills I developed. And after that happened, I realized I was going to have to find some purpose or some community or some way to get out of the lifestyle I had been in. But I didn't get out of substances at that point because I felt like I should. I did because my little sister was getting involved and I didn't want to see her Mm. turn out like me. And so she became my purpose. And, you know, I knew that I was going to have to get myself out in order to help her. And so that was kind of what kicked it off. And so I did Miss Utah Teen, competed at Miss Teen USA because the platform was substance abuse education. So I was like, well, I mean, if anyone's going to speak on it, I probably have some perspective. And they agreed. And so that became my platform was substance abuse education. I worked with the D.A.R.E. program. I worked with Partnership for Drug-Free America, mm-hmm. helped the U.N. do educational programs overseas. And so... One thing became abundantly clear the deeper I got into this uh, work with people that have been traumatized. And that was the once an addict, always an addict model Uh was really disempowering people. And I saw all the benefits of community that those teachings brought and then also the limitations. Um, And so it wasn't until years later I came back to psychedelics and magic mushrooms and uh, Wachuma or San Pedro are my, my personal favorite teachers. And... If it wasn't just the right friend and just the right synchronicities at just the right time, it's not something I would have been open to. Um, So facing all of those constructs and conditioning, it was a lot to deconstruct, to even consider. And that was a little over 13 years ago. And so I've been in some version of this work individually and then in helping other people find their connection points and their teachers and their shaman and whoever else they're looking to find. So at this point, I'm kind of like a shamanic strategist. I'm the intersection. <laughs> you come here and I'm like, Ooh, have you checked out, you know, this modality or have you checked out this community so that every person can find their way home? And that's kind of where I'm at now. Oh, goodness. That's so great. And I, I didn't know, are you still living in Utah? No, now I'm living in Austin, Texas. Um, okay. I left Utah at 19 to New York city. I uh, got signed to a major management company over there, thought all my, you know, all my dreams would come true. 
uh, got dropped from the management company and, uh, found myself living in New York for a few years, moved back to Utah, married the nice guy. My parents said I should marry no nice Mormon guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, turns (laughs) out my parents were not right. And so here I am many years later (laughs) in Austin, Texas, almost, uh, however many math, I don't know, 13 years later, whatever, about 14 years later in a new relationship. (laughs) Wow. I don't know if you know this, but I'm from Utah and I actually did Miss Utah, but I, it was the one ran by Trump's organization. So I don't know if it's the same one, same one. Wow. It's the same one. Yeah. What a small world. So yeah, I'm from Utah. I lived there for 26 years. So yeah, I was in the, I was the same year or the year. No, I think I was the same year that Kelly Chapman was Miss Utah. Oh yeah. I'd have to look. I don't know. Angie Lee was the Miss Utah teen one. Mm-hmm. Angie oh no, this Lincoln. was 2001. So this was yeah. a, this was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Now yeah. I think you're, I don't know if you're about 2001, but you did Miss teen, right? Miss teen. I was 18. Yeah. So I was I was on the older end of the teen spectrum, but yes, it was the yeah. same, the USA lineage of pageants. Very cool. There is a little bit of a whistling sound. I don't know if it's me. Give me a second. Do, 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 do. Don't hear it. Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> well, maybe I've also got wind chimes happening. There's a lot of stuff happening okay. outside. We're going to do this while you talk. I'm going to relocate myself and you go on. We can location change in the meantime. So what does it mean to start bringing ancient wisdom to now? Like, what do you mean by that? So when I'm talking about ancient wisdom, I'm actually talking about the wisdom of the spirits and the plants that we call this shamanism and this mysticism. The ancient wisdom is being connected to the earth. You know, the ancient wisdom is really tuning into the essence of who we are and what we are and outside of dogmas and rules and outside of what we think, um, but more around like what we feel and who we believe ourselves to be. And so when I'm talking about ancient wisdom, it's what all of the mystics and our teachers and people that were very connected to the earth taught us um, in sustainability, conscious awareness and how we're consuming how we're contributing and how we're showing up. Um, and then some of the shamanic practices, uh, rituals, why rituals are so powerful and important and how people can integrate those practices into their lifestyles now while considering their own traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we want to honor the traditions these come from, but many, many countries and backgrounds have master teacher plants from their continents that they've lost sight of Mm -hmm. um, or that they lost access to. Mm -hmm. And so that is where the integrating the ancient practices with Western mindsets and where we are to bring it all together for where we're going, uh, and the opportunity for evolution for humanity. Awesome. So what are some of those practices? So some of the ones I've done is like rituals, um, coming together. I've done cacao ceremonies. Um, one of my friends did like a I don't know if you've ever heard of this or if you do this, but a blindfolded mushroom ceremony. I I don't know if that's like a normal thing, but she told me all about it and it was very interesting. So what are some of the things that you kind of either do with your retreats or your clients or I just love to hear about it? Sure. You know, the thing is with being blindfolded, there's a big difference in journeying in darkness and journeying in the light. Oh yeah. And so someone doing uh, mushrooms out in nature has its benefits and the connectedness as does going internal. When you blindfold yourself, you actually cause your body to go inward. Mm -hmm. And so, because there's not the distraction of the outside world or the colors or the lights, just like we have day and night, just like there's new moon and full moon and different rituals to do for each there are different access points. And so it depends on my intention. Um, sound healing is hugely beneficial when you can have live music in a ceremony, uh, whether it's the Ikaros in the Shipibo tribe traditions of ayahuasca, or whether it's Christian um, chants and music like the I- ayahuasca Santo Daime, or whether it's uh, drum circles in Native American cultures. And so it really... There's lots of ways to do it, but for me, it's about involving the body in some way, whether it's through music or sound or movement or breath. Mm. 
um, okay. to, to really bring uh, more of your body into the experience versus mm-hmm. only always journeying inward, but the opportunities to psychedelics are one tool. They're not the only tool to mm-hmm. gain access to ourselves or to spiritual realms. Um, they give us beautiful insights as does sound baths or, um, I mean, the list could kind of go on. And I think that the opportunity we have is creating our own rituals and exploring different types ultimately to find what resonates for us. Okay. And how has, let's just say like shrooms or psychedelics, whatever it may be, how has it helped people therapeutically? A lot of it depends on the person, you know, like that can certainly vary. And I, and a lot of it also comes down to what the person's belief structures are. So if someone comes to plant medicine or fungi, because mushrooms are not actually plants, that at the end of the day, if you believe that it has to be hard or sufferable Mm. in order to grow, that's more Mm. likely what you're going to be met with because that's how you've been, that's how you've learned. And so there's this very tricky thing that can happen that if I'm used to in the Western mindset thinking if I work harder, faster, more now, Mm. if I hustle, then my dreams will come true. We can assign that belief to these shamanic explorations Mm. that if I meditate long enough, or if I do enough, or if I do it often enough that I'll finally deserve the right to be happy and free. And so those things are important to consider, not because there's a right or wrong way, but that it doesn't have to be that way. Oh, and no. so for me, I've I only had so good many trips. years. I've only had good trips. Well, and even good is relative, right? Yeah. Good for what? Because I've had challenging experiences that were amazing. Yeah. I cried. It might've been even hard to, to accept or whatever, but I recognized the beauty of that. And so it made it good for me. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so I ask myself, um, when things will come up for me, uh, if I define it as bad or good, what ways can I also see the opposite to be true? Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, I could love being out in the sun and be like, oh, vitamin D, it's so good. But if I spend too much time in the sun, I get burned. And so it's it's kind of a constant self-reflection that my whole mission is for people to learn sovereignty. What's good for me right now where I am? And then giving myself grace when it's not perfect or executed exactly, or if I slide back a little bit. And so good or bad, I started to just replace with functional or dysfunctional for who and for what, because we call a lot of mental conditions disorders, but it's because it's out of order, out of order for who, if someone has an auditory, um, you know, sensitivity where crowds are challenging, we're saying there's something wrong with them versus they have unique needs. Mm -hmm. And so even to make someone disorderly, it's out of order for what culture in that area ascribes. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I started to say, okay, well, this is functional for what or dysfunctional for what and for Mm -hmm. who, because it might be really functional for me. It might not be really functional for someone else laying on a mat alone in the dark, maybe functional for the facilitator at times, but at times for me, it was supporting my trauma that I'm too much, too loud for everyone all the time. I've mm-hmm. been shushed my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so what I actually needed to find was a space where I wasn't being hushed again, but that was unique to me. Mm-hmm. And then once I did my work, and found more self-compassion and found freedom and expression, then I could go back to those containers to explore silence because I wasn't being forced Mm. again to be from one box to another box. So there's a time and space for all of it. I think that's kind of how I felt in the past of like the quiet ones. Like, cause I've, I've always been too much. I've always been, especially coming from Utah too much, too wild, too bold, too sexy, too much of an independent woman, like, mm-hmm. oh, that, that was like clarity right there for me. Cause I, I don't do well in those quiet situations. I can do them by myself sometimes, but honestly, I, I kind of don't like those. And that might be why. Look, it, all of them are an opportunity for us to learn a bit about ourselves and to acknowledge this may not be my container and my teacher right now. 
because what I really need is to be seen or to be heard and to be acknowledged that I'm not too much. So, you know, in the circles, the way that Ta and I have always facilitated and when we led trips to Peru, even if it was when we go to Peru, we don't facilitate the ceremonies. We have the tribes or the curanderos or the curanderas do it. And then we integrate people. And for us, it's important for everyone to know that these are different people's perspectives. If you look at tradition and say, well, no, it's traditional for you to lie still on your mat and stay alone. No, it isn't. That is a tradition. And if you look back historically in shamanism, especially say with ayahuasca, nobody else took ayahuasca except for the medicine man or the curandera. And so even the idea that that's how it's supposed to be done is somebody else's rules, not the rules of the medicine, not the rules of the plant. That is what someone else identified from their experience. It doesn't make it wrong. It's just saying if you don't fit in there, it just may not be your group right now. And that it's not anything wrong with you. It's just not where your current needs are. Yeah, that just goes around everything. It it mm-hmm. all depends. It all depends on you. It depends on your frame of mind, your journey. That goes for business. That's literally how I talk about business. It depends on you and what you want and what fits for you. So I love yeah. that. Yeah, the rest is just suggestions. And look, people with a lot of experience or if that's how they want to do it, then you get to choose if you want to engage and participate in it. Just like a life coach, just like a business coach, even if they have had amazing results, that doesn't mean every client they've ever had has had those results. (laughs) And so it's always important to remember that these are tools for your consideration and Mm -hmm. to try. And if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Yes, completely. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And have how has maybe psychedelics helped with improving health, addiction, PTSD, trauma, that kind of thing? Um, that was one of the most asked questions online. Mm-hmm. So I'd love if you could touch on that a little bit. Sure. I mean, it's going to vary a little bit on who you ask and what lineage you are referring to mm-hmm. um, and which substance and in which context, because if you want to get the how on a scientific level, the ba- the best space to go to for it is like Johns Hopkins website. They've got, they just put a $17 million research center together. So they're going to have the facts for the people that want the sciencey things or on clubhouse on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings at 10 AM central time. I bring on specifically researchers and biohackers that can talk about the chemical ways that it does it, whether through, um, If I was going to simplify it, what's basically happening in a psychedelic experience is your brain gets very malleable or they call it uh, neuroelasticity, right? It gets uh, very uh, flexible Mm -hmm. because when a trauma happens, say like a car accident, in that moment, your psyche changes because of there's two ways to break down trauma, too much, too fast, or too little for too long. So if someone was isolated, like Mm. last year, a lot of people are going to be having PTSD symptoms from too little for too long. And so in that moment of impact and in a traumatic event, your psyche kind of fractures in in a simplified term. And so in the book, How to Change Your Mind, uh, Michael Pollan talks about when you get into a heightened neuroplastic state, it's like putting fresh snow over a ski slope. So all those tracks that were there before that all the skiers took were the neurological habits your mind used to take, maybe to focus on negativity or to replay the event. That's something that happens because of impact. Mm -hmm. So when you go into a psychedelic experience, it's like putting fresh snow over the tracks. And so it's like creating repetition and impact in that Mm -hmm. experience. So the realizations you have, it's it's as if you've been doing mantras and affirmations for a long time, which is why a lot of people get benefit long-term after even one psilocybin or even MDMA experience, because the realization, it's as if they had been practicing it for months um, or gone to therapy for years. Wow. So I recently, I was in Tulum and had a really amazing experience And one of the biggest takeaways was something I've been, you know, working on a lot, but it just fucking ingrained in me. It was like, it was like, I just felt different after it was like something that I'd been practicing just finally hit and like 
the puzzle pieces went together and it was like being in the now. And of course I've been working on that. You've heard it a bajillion times. Mm -hmm. But once I went through that trip, it was just so, I don't know, it just like fit and it worked and I like put things together. I don't even know how to describe it, but I just enjoyed every second of it. And it just, when I got back home, I was like, it was, it was just easier to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like, um, so how I say it is that we can know something and then there's when we really understand something. It's like, if you're learning a new skill or you, you've been practicing it and you can get to it eventually. And then finally it clicks and you're like, Oh, now it makes (laughs) sense. That's kind of what happens in that moment where it goes from the, the intellectual mind into yeah. like the embodied knowing where yes. it's like, now I know before I thought so now mm-hmm. I feel so. And that's kind of the difference is bringing it from the head into the body. Yes. The embodying, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. It was embodying being in the now and being enough. And I don't know, it just like clicked in yep. a different way. Oh, yep. I love that embodying. That's what the difference was. So how has it helped kind of like maybe addiction and things like that? So Here's my cosmology. And if you read Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate, uh, he talks specifically around addiction and what, what a lot of addiction comes from, from, because I used to work in addiction and, you know, because of the once an addict, always an addict and speaking mm-hmm. at schools, I became very intimately aware of dealing with lots of different types of addiction. And what it simplifies down to is a lack of connection, whether from the self or the environment you're in or the people that are there. And so the substance becomes the connection, whether Mm -hmm. it's for self-soothing, whether it's to connect outside of this realm because you don't feel safe here or you Mm -hmm. can't relate here. It's a, a need for connection. And so for me, addiction, yes, there's the chemical addictions where if someone you know, nicotine addiction or alcoholism, when it's been repeated use and then you take it away, there's the physical addiction, Mm -hmm. but with most, um, substances, that's a few days and then it's passed. Uh, not that you should do it that way. I'm not saying it, but just speaking simply here. Um, (laughs) but then there's, when you dig deeper into it, it's not the addiction because if you go to most AA meetings, sure, they're not drinking anymore, but then they're eating tons of sugar, uh, drinking tons of coffee. And then maybe, uh, you know, smoking a lot of cigarettes or other there, it just transferred. They're just doing something else, placing it Correct. on something else. Oh, well, goodness. And our society judges addiction, but we don't judge if someone overworks because they're contributing to society until their health crashes or they get cancer because they didn't draw boundaries and they had adrenal fatigue. And, yeah. but that that's another exhibition of a trauma response. Like you can have two people from one family with the same childhood. One ends up an addict. The other one ends up a successful entrepreneur. Yep. Both are trauma responses. Yep. But one we judge harshly and the mm-hmm. other we don't. But the hurt is actually very similar and the same in many ways. And the people I work with are the ones that became the high performance entrepreneurs who, okay, they could run a successful business, but they didn't know how to connect authentically or they were in, they kept going from relationship to relationship or, you know, really aggressive with their kids or something like that. And so when I started to ask different questions versus how does it heal addiction or how does it fix it or change it? Mm -hmm. I don't see anything wrong with addiction. Um, I don't see anything wrong with someone being suicidal. I see that there is hurt and ways of being that the person developed. And so when we start asking how this can help, It's getting to what's causing them to go to substances to connect or escape. Like for me, I had gone to substances because I met more people that had been through trauma and in those scenes. And so I felt more seen and I felt Mm -hmm. more like I had community. So it wasn't the substance that was doing it for me. It was the people that typically used substances. And Mm -hmm. even though I ultimately ended up in a coma, it was because what I consumed someone tried to chemically recreate and I was poisoned. It's not because I took too much. And so that was when I realized there's no safe usage of the life I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so, cause it was GHB, which we would use to come down off of other uppers of sorts. Mm-hmm. So what changed for me was learning new tools for coping and getting the support I needed for traumas that had happened. 
and finding community outside of substances. Cause I watch it happen in shamanic circles too, where what people really desire is community. And mm-hmm. so they keep creating chaos in their life so that they have a reason to journey so that they can get mm-hmm. community. So wow. it's very interesting. Um, ultimately when it comes to healing it, it's recognizing that when we can help someone find forgiveness for themselves, that's when we start to see addiction heal. Yeah, we need to forget what people have done to us, but usually it's the spiral of shame that causes a person to mm-hmm. keep eating or starve themselves or mm-hmm. go to substances or drink too much or, you know, the shame after drinking too much that they embarrass themselves. Like it really at the core for me is shame that drives mm-hmm. addiction versus um, the substance itself. Oh, shame. Huge one. Huge one. Mm-hmm. But it's just for so many different things. Oh, yeah. that's I help with that for sexual shame is one of my things that I am passionate about helping women through. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I have kind of realized is entrepreneurs, it is. It's like a different type of addiction. And as I've healed more, there's this less... I, I don't know what to say. I still drive and I'm still motivated, but it's a different type of motivation now. Cause in the past, I just used to be like, I had to prove myself. I had to do this. I had to get this goal. And now as I've healed, it's kind of like different. It's like, Mm -hmm. I just want to help people more. And I don't hustle as much as I used to. I get in flow and I'll work sometimes 10 hours, but it's not a hustle. It's Mm -hmm. more like just a flow. And I have noticed that like some of the biggest entrepreneurs, they have a lot of trauma and it's, they just push it down and they just work harder and work harder and work harder. So Ta and I, my husband have something, uh, a a system that we work in. So what you are working in is what we call Puma energy. And so if anyone's watching video, this is, I've got my Puma, my snake and my condor here on my wall. And we see three energies of evolution that a person goes through in their, in their life in this type of transformational awakening. And what we find is what you're describing is this entrepreneurial drive we call Puma energy, but it's a wounded Puma. Mm-hmm. When you look at you know some of these cats like a Puma, they're powerful and strong and majestic, but if they're wounded, they're reactive. They cannot rest. They're hunting, but that's because they're afraid they're going to starve, not because they need to do it. Mm -hmm. And so part of the transformational process for us is changing someone from reactive to responsive. Because when someone is creating from from a space of, I have to, whether because I want to prove to my dad I'm successful, or I'm going to prove those people wrong that said I would never be shit, or whatever the story is, that's almost like a wave that people feel like it's going to crash over them at any minute. Yeah. So they're, they're running to succeed. Going hard. Correct. Versus what we call condor energy. And Puma energy is amazing when it's a healthy Puma, mm-hmm. that focus and agility and drive. But what we have found is entrepreneurs specifically who are innovators and looking how do we create uh, impact, right, to really change the world are their, their space is really in condor energy, mm-hmm. which condors are these large vulture-like birds in South America, which is the lineages we trained through, mm-hmm. some of them. And so condors have this huge wingspan and they fly at 20,000 feet. And so it takes a lot of effort, right? There's still a lot of work for them to take off, but then they get up into the winds and the environment carries them and they're in mm-hmm. flow and Now they've got perspective because of all their experiences to be like, oh, there's a storm off on the left in the horizon. I'm not going to go that way because in the past I went into the storm. And so now they've got the experience and the foresight plus the the flexibility to work with the environment without rigidity or control. And they they know where they're going, but they also (laughs) trust that the wind is ever changing and they can adapt to it without a lot of effort. And they're also the messengers of heaven to earth. So they're, they're the environment's cleanup crew, taking the carcasses and the systems that aren't working anymore to help them transform. And so Mm -hmm. for us, it's getting someone first into a healthy Puma energy. And then as they learn and scale and grow, helping them to expand into this condor energy and 
ride in that flow, recognizing they don't have to work so hard to get to where they're going. And I would say the biggest part, (laughs) the biggest struggle with that one is almost like this conditioning of, did I even work enough? Did I even, that's something that I'm struggling with. Cause like this week has been so like flowy and happy and like Mm -hmm. I've gotten clients. And then I'm like, did I even do enough? Wait, but the results, they're a lot better, but I'm like, but I didn't. Oh yeah. It's like, I didn't work hard though. (laughs) Oh yeah. That is, that's a mindset ever since the industrial revolution. And even before that, we were taught that you work really hard so that you can retire and save money in your retirement. And then you'll have your, you know, little 401k and all of this stuff. But (laughs) I don't know anyone that can retire on those, uh, anymore. Like my parents are still working, you know? So at the end of the day, those systems aren't really working for people. And so the idea that we have to work really hard to get the house and the car and the fence and the dog and the kids, that's a cultural conditioning that that's how we have to work. So if it's too easy, it's like, wait, no, money's supposed to be hard because my parents struggled with money still. They always have. So my belief is like, it, 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 money, making money can't be easy. Like if it's this easy, then I must be doing something really wrong or <laughs> the other shoe's going to drop and yep. I'm going to lose it all. Yep. It's, it's definitely getting used to that. It's scary, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, embodying it and getting used to it and just really in the now, like it's working, it's working, it's working, it's compounding, it's compounding. Yep. That's amazing. Definitely take some self-facilitation. That's for sure. To be like, no, look, we've got proof. Here's Mm -hmm. metrics and data that (laughs) are actually better. So it does take some convincing sometimes. Yeah. So have you ever had like a really bad trip? And I know you say good. It could be good if you had a bad one and you'd learn lessons. But have you ever had like a very difficult or it was hard to get out of? I would love to hear if you're interested in sharing. Sure. I mean, I would say they were significantly unpleasant. And I would say I had experiences that I just wanted it to be over or that I was like, why did I do this? I didn't, you know, cause I've had times I went to journeys and I was a little hesitant cause I didn't really feel like it, but maybe my friends were all going or it was a trip to Peru. Mm-hmm. And finally on one trip to Peru, cause we were guiding trips there. So I felt like I should be in the room with everyone. And on the last um, trip that we went on, when people went to go sit with ayahuasca, I decided not to go Mm -hmm. because I was like, the only reason I'm going is because I feel like I quote unquote should Mm -hmm. to be with the group. And that was the first time I sat out and didn't go because the truth was it didn't feel resonant to me in that moment. And so the only times I feel like I had a challenging or what people may refer to as bad was Mm -hmm. when I didn't listen to myself whether because the, the facilitator or shaman didn't resonate for me, or, you know, maybe it was because I just, my body was tired. You know, Mm -hmm. I was still, I was still not trusting myself. And that usually equaled in an experience that it was like, see, I should have trusted myself. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like crap. This sucks. Like all this stuff, because the lesson was to trust myself. Mm -hmm. Those were the times for me that were really not fun. Yeah. Uh, that's something people like, listen, take note of this. Um, I wanted to do ayahuasca with my girlfriend and I was like, I was really wanting to, but then she had a time and it was like a little too quick and it didn't feel, it didn't feel like it was the right time. And I, I, there was a part of me being like, but this is, I should do it because it's here and it's close to me and maybe I should do it and take advantage. But my friend was, she was very smart and she was like, Hey, if, if you're not feeling like it's a hell yes, don't do it. This isn't the time for you. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I was very happy that she said that. Cause I was like, yeah, I, I don't feel like it's a yes. So only do it if you, it's like a yes. It's like, you're being called, you're being like led to do it, especially with mm-hmm. ayahuasca and probably for other things as well. Right. I say with anything, yeah. uh, because ultimately, even if you realize that it was you getting in your own way, Mm-hmm. that you, then you still got the lesson from the medicine anyway. Right. Yeah. And that was that like, Hey, I actually was nervous or it was my control or my fear of losing control. And now I recognize that so the next time it will be a yes, but mm-hmm. it still got you to the full body. Yes. When you were ready, because mm-hmm. that impacts how you show up in the experience. Mm-hmm. And so even for me, the way I show up is very different now than when I started. I don't even say plant medicine anymore. I say Mm -hmm. I work with power plants and teachers, master teachers, Mm -hmm. because 
they've shown me that I am as much my medicine as anything that they are and that they're not the ones healing me. They're the ones showing the parts of me that need to be healed Mm -hmm. or they're, they're bringing in assistance, but they're allies versus, uh, versus medicine necessarily because water is medicine. You know, everything around us is medicine depending on our perspective. And because of my constructs of medicine, I take medicine when I'm sick. And so I reached a point that I was no longer sick emotionally, physically, spiritually. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't taking these experiences because I was unwell. I was doing it for personal empowerment, optimization, and for the innovation for humanity. So that's Mm -hmm. not medicine anymore. Yeah. And so it's all accurate. It depends on our evolutionary process. Mm -hmm. When I first got into it, I was in snake energy. Snake is transformational. Who am I? Shedding the old layers, grounding to the earth, connecting to the earth. Mm -hmm. Then I went into Puma energy in a healthy Puma. Then I have the focus, the drive, the agility. That's when it stops being medicine for me when Mm -hmm. it's not healing. Mm -hmm. For me, laughter is as sacred as quiet reverence. You know, so for me, I've seen that it is all divine expressions. It's simply looking at how we want to articulate divinity. Who do I want to be? And then what skills or understandings or realizations do I need to know, be, do, understand? I said understand (laughs) to be in alignment to that vision. Um, And so it's just a different driver now. Like you were saying before, high performance was, you know, like it was pushing you from behind. Now it's more like you're opening up forward Mm -hmm. to receive it. It's different. It's more like monkey bars, right? You look forward and you're reaching for the next thing and you have momentum. So it doesn't actually take as much work once you, once you get going. So Mm -hmm. a little bit more on my rants, but (laughs) no, I love them. I think this has been so great and we can wrap up shortly. Um, I did have kind of like a question or like a thought because I've never really talked to someone that really knows about it. So What I've had an experience in different uh, psychedelics is like I've noticed you can like, I feel like you can almost dive deep into it. Like you can either, some people don't feel it and I feel like they are like shutting it off. But I feel like if you start noticing little bits, little things that are a little bit different, maybe it's a little brighter green. Maybe you actually feel a little bit kinder. Maybe it's uh you go underwater and you're like, whoa, it's not like obvious. It's just like this Mm -hmm. vivid color. It's this feeling. And then I feel that when you start diving into those thoughts, when you start opening them up, and this is different uh, modalities as well, that it starts opening it up and kind of like MDMA, it's like rolling. It like compounds like a snowball. And so sometimes when people say they don't feel it, I'm like, why don't you start noticing the small things? Why don't you start like kind of just not try and trip or have this big experience, but then kind of, it's like diving and it's like feeling, it's like getting deeper. And then it starts like snowballing. I don't know. Is that like a thing? (laughs) I mean, I see lots of articulations that sound like that. So like with my husband, he had two years, he had no visuals. And so he thought it wasn't working and nothing was happening come to find out it was only his conscious mind because he had compartmentalized in such a way. His body was very much in the experience. Mm. And finally in one journey, he remembered all of them. And it was like, it just wasn't time because his Mm. body had things that its intelligence needed. Mm. And so I've seen part of it is going in with expectations where people say, I'm not expecting anything. And then they're disappointed. You cannot have disappointment without expectation. And so (laughs) Um, like I've had people come in and say, I, well, you know, nothing's really happening. And I'll be like, okay, well, how's your back pain? Oh, actually my back's not hurting. Okay. Then you're just not perceiving the differences and nuance is very important, which is why Wachuma or San Pedro is such a powerful plant or a cacti for people to explore because it's much more nuanced. Mm. And when people come in expecting mandalas and geometric shapes or, you know, crazy characters Uh and they don't get that, Mm. then they, they also believe it isn't working on some level. And so part of the first question I ask people is, well, what's your, you know, what's your idea of expectation and what does it feel like to you to not get what you wanted? There's usually something to that, that that is the lesson is that this is a pattern 
um, in some, this is just anything that happens in a psychedelic space is a reflection of how someone views the world. So if I'm at a journey and someone starts screaming and I go immediately into judgment of like, Oh, oh that is way too much. Uh-huh. That's me doing to them what people have done to me, mm-hmm. that they're too much and it's inconvenient for me. So I'm becoming oppressive mm-hmm. because I want them to do what's comfortable for me versus me not focusing on their experience, learning how to protect my container and allowing everyone to be free, not just me or what's inconvenient to me. That's my shit. Mm-hmm. And so all of these things are an opportunity that the, the plant is very much showing you and teaching you. Are you open to being shown in a way that you actually need versus what you think. And most people come in and they've read articles and they've seen all the Netflix mm. and all the documentaries. <laughs> and they think that if they didn't purge or shit their pants in an ayahuasca ceremony, <laughs> that it didn't work. And it's yeah. like, um, that's not the indicator <laughs> of healing, by the way. Yes, you can purge. Yes, that can be releasing. But people can get attached that if I'm not purging, I'm not getting rid of the bad stuff, but you can sweat. You can release through laughter. You Mm -hmm. can release through tears. You Mm -hmm. can release through pheromones and smell. Mm -hmm. Do not allow your human mind to get in the way of your healing. Yeah. My friend, she said most of her, um, ayahuasca trips were beautiful. They were magical. I think she said one time she purged and it was kind of uncomfortable, but she said for the most part, hers were like magical and like realizations. And she was like the only person that I'd heard that. And I was like, that's awesome. And she's like, it was exactly what it was supposed to be. She's pretty good at that. Yeah. Yeah, My, my husband is still never purged in a ayahuasca ceremony. That's just not, you know, that's just not something that his body needs, but he also takes really good care of himself and has yeah. meditation practices and writing practices. So he's mm-hmm. always releasing from his body. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these are not designed to try to mitigate or counteract the damage that we're doing. It's what are you going to, what are, how are you going to prepare your body for the experience? How are you going to prepare your mind? And then how are you going to stay in that remembrance of its importance after the experience is over? Because a lot of people will go down to the jungle and then fly back home and be back to their job on Monday in the same bullshit they were doing when they left. And you will get pulled back into the same space that you were or not the same, but in the same container. And it'll make you feel like you lost all everything that you gained. So you need to journey again. That's you have to make actionable steps, not just the realization, but what is the action to support this new cosmology of belief and how I look at it. I removed my judgment if something is good or bad, even with foods I eat or whatever. And I go, all right, here's my vision of what I want. Does this choice put me in alignment or does it take me further away? And that's Mm -hmm. how I walk through my life. So if I'm going to have this glass of wine, is one glass going to do anything? No. And I am considerate of sulfates and nitrates and how those feel in my body. So it's not the wine that doesn't resonate. It's the quality. And so I started to focus on quality and I journal and I track, how does my body feel? I discovered I can't have stevia. It upsets my stomach, you know, and I wouldn't have put that in a bad category, but when I started to consider everything going in and around my body, everything that I'm consuming with my mouth, my ears, my eyes, my relationships, that's when it started to really fully manifest into this house I live in, into the relationship that I'm in. My entire life is magic. That does not mean it's always easy. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I love when it's not easy too. Yeah. Because now I, I, I am in full acceptance and tolerance. And to me, that is freedom. Mm-hmm. And it just makes the good even better when you have some opposites occurring. Like when it's a little bad, when it goes a little down, you're like, Ooh, it was so good just a minute ago. Wow. That's so amazing. I'll get right back up to that, but this is okay too. It's okay. It's almost like, Hmm. Even still, I go back to that trip is like, I even be in the now in the pain, even be, be in that. What is it teaching you? What are, what are you going to take from this? What's going to help you grow from this? Ah, love it. Uh, Yep. So I think that's kind of about to wrap up. Um, One question that did kind of pop up was, (laughs) which we talk about sex on this podcast. So um, have you had any like 
insane experiences with that? Or do you recommend it? Or I don't know, just bring up that topic. (laughs) Which part? So, because here's the thing is, as I explored psychedelics, what I realized was that I still hadn't really explored my body, right? Mm -hmm. And this beautiful vessel that I have not just come to respect, but Mm -hmm. to love. Mm -hmm. And so I actually went and started working with two different pro doms, ones that resonated for me that were women Uh so that it felt safe. And we Mm -hmm. weren't engaging in any sex, but we were using shibari, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the, the art of uh, bondage. Mm-hmm. And then I went and worked with, um, I mean, she's an OG Dom. She's been a Dom. Like she's been in BDSM for like 37 years yeah. and she's the one that started DomCon and all this stuff. And she, you know, she put me up on a St. Andrew's cross. And I mean, I did the full experience, uh-huh. um, which that's a whole other episode in itself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but what I found is that through that exploration and dismantling some of that shame that was trapped in my body, plus the plants, plus meditation, plus music, then my body tells me what it needs. And it's very clear, like, oh, you know what? I just got an image of a sensory deprivation tank. So I'm going to go do that today, right? Go do a float session. Or, you know, maybe it is more, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's dismantling shame and oppression within myself, whether Mm -hmm. from conditioning or experiences. And I recognized after I healed my sexual traumas that had occurred, it was time for me to now integrate pain and pleasure back together because I had Mm -hmm. separated them because I could only have good sex if it was painful too. It was like having that sadist masochist dynamic a little bit. Uh Um, But that's not functional for your body either. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, if it's leaving marks or severe pain or whatever. Um, so I had to do separate work on pleasure, pleasure and pain. And then it was time to integrate them in a way of knowing where are my boundaries and how to communicate and use my voice. First, I learned how to communicate in the psychedelic space. Mm-hmm. Then I learned how to communicate in the physical space in my relationships, intimate relationships, business relationships. To me right now, we have this amazing opportunity with um, doms who are very consciously aware of energy of, um, trauma. And there's very few practitioners outside of BDSM that understand humans shadows like doms do. I think that it's the, some of the most underrepresented work, um, to pay tribute to. Ooh, I, that's why I brought it up. I've actually been looking up doms in the area. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting topic in that I'll probably do an episode on that. So, (laughs) oh, that's amazing. It's beautiful work. Yeah. I mean, I never, I never did psychedelics with Dom. I was like, not, yeah, not at the same time. You don't need to, you go into an altered state just by being in those experiences. But because I'd had psychedelics, they helped teach me how to access those spaces. Yeah. So that then in my Dom experiences, as soon as I'd get blindfold, my body would be like, Oh, I know what to do. I'm guiding me inward. Yes. That's, that's a big part is going through these different trips. Even cause I started, I did MDMA when I was a little younger and these Mm -hmm. bigger trips and like experiences, I think I got bad ones sometime. It really taught how to come home and be safe and be okay when there's weird stuff going on. Mm -hmm. That is a big thing. It's like dealing with trauma and dealing with issues and really teaching you no matter how hard it was, like how to deal with things in the future. That is that's something that I didn't know how to express. So yeah, that's, that's so true. The, uh, a, a well-trained, informed Dom understands how they can create environments for your senses to modulate mm. and your hormones yeah. and your, your fear centers and then pleasure and all of that, yeah. that what it does is it creates impact like psychedelics do or like trauma does, yeah. but in a way that they can actually help you work through it. So if you have, it's just about finding someone you trust and someone that's, you know, knows what they're doing. Just like, I don't care if it's a shaman, a bishop, a dom, not giving, there's a difference between submitting to someone to be in charge because you trust them to be the dominant energy and something that wants to dominate. Whether that's in shamanism, there's shamans that want to be dominant over you. And there's others that recognize they are the dominant force of energy to protect and Mm. ensure safety because you're trusting them to keep you safe. 
And so all of these things ring true, no matter what you're exploring at the end of the day, it's sovereignty, it's advocating for yourselves and knowing when to say no or red in the Dom space or mm. whatever, that this is too much for me. Um, it, the power is still in the submissive. The power is still in the participant of the shamanic experience and be mindful to never give your power away. You can trust others to guide you without giving away mm. your power. Yes. Ah, wow. This was really great. You're amazing at talking all about this and spreading the knowledge. I'm so thankful to have you on my podcast. Um, where sure. can everybody find you on Instagram? And then the links will be in the bio, but just so they know if they don't go check them out. Sure. So Instagram is at mystical. So it's M-Y-S-T-I-K-O-L-E. Um, I do retreats with Shabari with one of the doms where we actually teach mm. of rope journeying basically. And then she mm. does suspension work, which is a whole other, whole yeah. other ball game of things. <laughs> uh, but my main focus right now is actually training people that want to be in the psychedelic space mm -hmm. or they want to support it. They're just not sure how to do it legally, mm -hmm. or they've got a lot of friends that are exploring, or they're a mm -hmm. life coach and their, their clients are microdosing. So they want to know how they can support this, not only ethically, Mm -hmm. and intentionally and to contribute mm -hmm. to the communities that we need to support right now. Um, mm -hmm. But also because they really believe in this mission. And right now, sometimes the best person for the job is the person that is there, not the one that's trauma informed. It would be great if everyone was, but sometimes yeah. because of accessibility or timing, it's not possible. And mm -hmm. the more people that are educated in how to do it safely or help people integrate safely, mm -hmm. even if they never touch the substance themselves, is still we bring education yeah. just like, you know, teaching abstinence doesn't prevent teen pregnancy and not <laughs> teaching about psychedelics won't keep people from not trying them and using them. Yeah. So and not being aware of how it actually works. So, ah, this was so great. And yeah, go check her out on clubhouse. Um, I'm definitely going to join your rooms. That's really exciting. And go check her out. And you guys share this episode with somebody, share it on your Instagram or Facebook, whatever it is, definitely share it because people need to hear this. And thank you so much for sharing your light and all of this knowledge. My pleasure. I'll see you in those clubhouse streets. <laughs> yes. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, review, and share with your fellow biz babes. I'd love to hear your thoughts, takeaways, and questions. So leave me a review on iTunes. And until next time, I'll see you at the top. It's up to you to level up.